You're listening to Finding Your Genius Zone with Dirk Novell. With the help of successful individuals across industries, Dirk breaks down the unknown parts of every vocation while highlighting the importance of finding a career where you can leverage your natural skills, passions, and interests. Now here's your host, Dirk Novell. Hey, welcome to my podcast. This is Dirk Novell, and on with me today is Matteo Messina. Welcome, Matteo. Thank you. Uh, Matteo's coming to us from LA right now, and uh, a quick introduction. So I remember, I think it was just out of college, one of my our mutual friends, John Newble, said, let's go watch my buddy play. I think he was <clears throat> playing piano at a, at a bar or restaurant or something in Fremont. And I've always gravitated towards music. I'm a guy who has no music talent, but I absolutely love music. And I'm always intrigued with people who have that skill set. But eventually, Mateo's done, I mean, he's done a lot. And, and I've been watching him from afar. And I guess he'll introduce himself and articulate what it is he does. But he's a composer. He does film scores. Uh, very, very successful. So uh, I'm really excited to have him on. Uh, Mateo, maybe if uh, back in the day when you were commuting from Seattle to Burbank and someone sat next to you and said, hey, what do you do? How would you answer that? Uh, pretty simply, I'd say I write music for films and television, uh, as well as the symphony. Uh, and my job is basically to uh, help the viewer connect with the protagonist. So my job, strangely, even though it's all music, isn't really that musical on one side, which is basically, it's really more emotional and tone and pace. And you really dig in with a director and sometimes the producers and learn who these characters are and what you want, what they want the viewers to feel at different places in the film or in the TV series. And then, uh, and then I write the music to, to emote that. Uh, so yeah, that's generally it. So, I mean, I'll just get into some of my specific questions and then we'll go backwards a little bit. But, you know, I, I experienced in a previous podcast, somebody that does what you do, how they would sit down. I was really intrigued by the process. So do you just get a call based on reputation and they say, hey, Mateo, we would love you to do this movie? Or do you have to go and, and give them your two cents on what you would do and your, your take on it? Like, what's the process of actually getting these deals? Um, or winning these deals or winning, you know, being hired to do a movie? It's, it's more of the former and a little bit of the latter. Uh, the former being once you do movie music for film studios, like my clients are like Netflix and Disney and NBC and Paramount, Sony, like, and then certain production companies like Adam Sandler's like Happy Madison or A24 or these different companies. And once other people see like, oh, they used him. We we should get that guy. And a lot of times it's it's not it's you know in early in my career there's that poster like let's get the Juno guy you know, and then it turns into oh then you do another film and that one's a hit oh let's get that guy. So that's some of it. Other times it's wow we really love this particular sound. Could you come on board? But then there's other times where they're like hey we really like you and this other composer John Bryan and this other one and Chris Leonard's and. Um, can we hear a little bit of what you think about this? And a lot of times your meetings are, uh, it's just sitting down and you are, you see if you vibe with one another, you know, do you understand the story? I can't tell you how many times a director where I'm sitting there thinking like, oh, this would be so great to get on this film. And then the director goes, did, did the film resonate with you? Is it, did you like it? You know, <laughs> like, yeah, you know, and uh, although I have been honest before, too, or I'm like, I'm not the right person for this film. <laughs> uh, I usually don't go to a meeting saying that I would just say it ahead of time. Um, but uh, and then so, so sometimes they'll say, would you write some ideas? Like I just had one last two weeks ago where it's this project of it's actually kind of funny. It's like it's all about animals. Uh, but instead of being the majestic animal kingdom with the, the lions and everything, it's all the the reject funny looking strange animals and then ryan reynolds is the is the uh host and and is you know doing the voiceover and and as and then so it's had to be majestic and beautiful at the same time as like really comedic and you had to find your timing and pick your spots and so yeah uh, and so i just send them an idea you know the the production company and they're like oh we like it you know sort of thing so i'm curious i can you get can we go a little deeper there because like i'm i'm thinking listening to you and i'm like 
So it's 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 beyond music. It's also a feel for like reading the movie, reading the mo- you know the room kind of thing. Like you got to know like the genre, the maybe the era, and what music was prevalent. Like, but you must have is that is that like a skill set of like I know all these instruments and I know which ones would go well here. Like, w- what's the skill set for that? Because it's not purely just being uh, a music guy. Like you you also have to have a real feel. Um, and where, I guess, where does that come from? Well, uh, just to clarify, it's not necessarily just genre or, uh, you know, it, 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 it's actually more creative. It's not like you have to follow the tropes. In fact, the movie I pointed out earlier when we did Juno, like no film score, especially comedy ever sounded like that. And, you know, it was like, well, why don't we try this, you know? And, and so you're not being hired to, uh, to replicate anything you're not being hired to oh you you know all the instruments <laughs> you know like that doesn't that's not what it's about it's really hey what can you bring to elevate this what sure. what creativity do you have that can elevate this project so you know on the Adam Sandler project I did a couple of years ago that one was set in Hawaii so I was like oh I'm going to study up on some Polynesian music and rhythms and things like that so I would do some homework but other times you know, like I, I did a show called Casual. It was like one of the very first shows on Hulu and it went for four seasons. And I remember when doing that, it was like these characters and they they look like they have it all together. And then it, it was a kind of a beautiful story because it was about, it was a, a love story, but a, a fraternal one, a brother and a sister, you know, it was not romantic. And you just see as you, the story goes, you see how broken they really are inside. And so when I went to write the score, I was trying to figure out ways that would, things that would reflect that. And I thought, what if I pick these interesting instruments, these organic instruments, so it feels very organic and whatnot. And then I was like, and then I get all the musicians in, I maybe have six or so of us. And I go, all right, nobody tune. Like we, we, everybody tunes once and then nobody tunes for the next two hours, three hours. And what happens is the instruments start to fall out of tune. And so people are playing them beautifully, but they're just not quite right. And it's great because when you hear the score, you're like, man, this sounds cool, but there's something not quite right. It was exactly those characters. Those characters just, they had this beautiful sheen, but underneath it wasn't right, quite right. And so there's, that's what you're being hired for. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Um, and so I'm thinking, is, is that like a you up all night or like a week? Like, I know it can probably vary. Sometimes you hit it like right away or maybe it takes like, what's it like to put something together? Is that an all nighter that you just you're addicted and you can't go to bed and your wife's like, come to bed. But like, I'm almost there. Or Like, how does how does that work? Is that something that you can do just sitting down one time or does it take a long time to put together? Uh. Both. I, people ask, like, do you ever get writer's block? And I'm like, no, I can't afford writer's block. I have young children. Uh, and, and I've also found, too, with young children, uh, I tend to uh, find the economy of my time. I, I'm much more wise about it. You know, uh, earlier in my career, yeah, I would work till seven or eight every night. And my friends would go, man, you work harder than anyone. I'm like, I, I never thought about it because I really love what I do. Yeah. And I would be so excited. So, yeah, there are times where when you get in the flow, you just want to keep going. But I've also learned now being 20 plus years in this industry, uh, especially when I'm on something really time consuming where I have to just dig in every day, I realize like it doesn't pay to go till three in the morning. It, it pays to go till like 10 or 11 at night, get a good night's sleep, get up really early and go for a run and then jump back into it. So you can, you know, I play the long game more. Uh, yeah. Even though I'm inspired, I'll just go, I'll just go to bed dreaming about it versus like staying up all night. Oh, that's good. I, I am curious. Like I, I'm really into meditation. What do you do to get into that space? Like you got young kids. That's, that's awesome, but it's also stressful. Uh, you got a wife. I mean, you got a lot going on in your life. You got, you know, you're involved with the Seattle Children's Hospital. Uh, when you're stressed out, like, is there a, um, something that you do just to kind of, kind of chill out, get your mind right? Uh, I think a lot of it actually is more like location, like a setting. So I know that when I come out to my studio, uh, usually I'll have a studio where we live because I just want to see my kids grow up and then I'll have one maybe a mile or two away 
Um, since the pandemic, I haven't set one up a mile or two away. It's really not a purpose for it yet, but I probably will in another year or two. Um, but it, it's, it's when I move myself into my creative space that I'm like, okay, this is my spot. Like I, you know, next to me is my recording booth that, and then there's, uh, you know, I just kind of have a, my zone, yeah. of what I want, uh, and but the, the other thing too, I realized like when I was commuting from Seattle down to Los Angeles before I was living here, so I'd lived here once before, then moved back up and then moved back down. I basically would have a little keyboard and I have my laptop and I'd have my headphones, I have my gear, small amount of gear, and I would write anywhere. So I'd be in in the morning, I might write a little bit for an hour or two. I'd run down to SeaTac, jump on a plane, I'd land and I'd have a meeting maybe at Universal in the afternoon, but I was like, oh, I've got two free hours. I would always go into Warner Brothers. I had a uh, uh, my one of my music editors always said, use my writing room. So I would go in there, blah, 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 plug in everything and just start writing. And then I would do my meeting and then I would go over, stay at a friend's and then I would sit in the backyard and and do all the same thing over again. And so I realized I could write anywhere, but I've also found... I do love going into a space and having all my instruments around me and feeling creative. No, I love it. Um, you referenced Gino, which is, I love that movie so much. What was from start to finish? Was that like, okay, you get a phone call and then you end up getting the gig. Like, does that take, is that a year long process? Like, or is that six months or how long do those kinds of projects last? Oof, they run the gamut. Uh, the quickest projects are the, oh, shit, we fired the last music team. Can you come in and save this picture? And then you might only have like six weeks or, you know, like and then you see the billboard, you know, for the movie coming out. And you're like, that's a lot of added extra pressure. Um, <laughs> no and there's other, you know, I, I remember doing a Weinstein film uh, and a couple others that were well over a year. You know, you start early. You might come in before production work on what are called pre-rolls or prelays, you know, things that the actors need to hear on set. Uh, and then you'll start scoring some, sometimes they want you to write ideas and score dailies. Other times they'll say, wait until the whole thing's done and then let's discuss music and then we'll, we'll do it. So it just, it changes every single project. You just kind of roll with that timeline. And you also know that it's, you're not stuck on one project. You can always be like, Oh, I'm also doing, this TV show over here and I spend, you know, two days a week on this and then X amount of time on that. And yeah, I get, I get it. So maybe like at the most, would you say you might have four or five, six projects or is that excessive? Uh, never that many. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, at, at two, uh, usually only one or two. And then occasionally I've had a third, but by that time I have a pretty big team around me. So all I'm doing is writing and everybody else is taking care of production and, and all the administrative stuff. But most of the time, it's just when one overlaps with another, it might happen by a month or so. And you really have to finish one when you're starting the other. But I try to, for my client's sake, I try to just do one. Um, but occasionally if you're on a TV, like if you're in the, I did a TV show called Superstar, the Superstar <laughs> uh, for like, I think we were five or six seasons. And like, after a while, you know, like there's such a, uh, it's, it's, un, it's, you don't have to talk anymore. Practically you do, but you know what they want. They know what you're, you can do. And then you have your quick spotting session and then you go off and you do it. And I can even after a while working with people, I can start to anticipate what they want as well. So. So if someone's watching this and they're like, this is what I want to do. Is, are you a one man show or do you, are you dependent or reliant on a skill set of like, I mean, you go in, you win the project, you're the creative, you're also the business guy, but, but do you have to have a big group to do what you do? Or can you just do this on your own? If it was like an independent film and you're just starting out, you could probably pull it off on your own. You'd have to wear a ton of hats. I mean, at the level that, that we're all doing it here in Hollywood, it's, I have a team. I have a, I've, an, I've had an assistant for 12, 13 years. Uh, I have a mixer. I have team, a few orchestrators. Um, uh, I have an orchestra contractor. I have other music contractors. There's just a lot uh, of, of things. To, the idea is that like my team, it, it's, a, it's a, it doesn't even, it's not even an acronym, but it's basically just KMW, keep Mateo writing. <laughs> and that's, so as long as I'm not dealing with 
somebody wants to meet at this time. They're like, okay, we can schedule it in. Like I'm not picking up the phone all the time or anything like that. When I'm really digging in and writing, okay, I'm, I'm writing. And then everybody yeah. else, yeah, it helps me take care of everything that it takes. It, it takes a team for sure. Yeah, that's. I, I didn't even ask that on my last podcast with uh, the composer, but the, I am curious. That's interesting because the skill set, the creativity that you have to do what you do, but you also have learned to be a businessman or business owner, right? Recruiting. I mean, the P and L. Uh, I mean, there's there's a lot to it. I guess if you're in the corner writing and they keep you there and that's what you do, then maybe you don't see the other parts. But I guess what I'm getting at is it's important if you're interested in this, you might have to have those skill sets as well beyond just the creativity. Absolutely. Uh, in fact, I studied business in university, not music. I played music since I was three. I started playing professionally around 14 and then wrote my first symphony at 23, 24, somewhere in there. Um, but business is, you know, it's, it's a business, it's a film business. It's, I'm not really in the music business much as the film business, but people, if there is no, like, uh, people go, Oh, I, uh, we like what you do. Come on over. Like it's, it's really a hustle. So when I started out, you know, I moved down here and gave myself, I remember going, well, give it a shot. You know, I, I was like, I'll give myself seven years, which seemed like a lot, but I was also in my twenties and mid twenties. And I was like, let's see what happens, you know? And I thought, in the end, if it didn't work out, I'd had a great, I would have, will have had a great experience living in another city and trying an industry I was interested in. And, and then, I mean, I hustled, hustled, like even to the point where like a friend of my family's, a friend of ours, his dad introduced my mom and dad. And he wrote, he was a screenwriter. He wrote a movie called Gross Point Blank and a, and a bunch of others. And he was a wonderful guy. And I used to pose as his assistant so I could sneak onto the studio lots. And then I would sneak over to the scoring stages and watch them, you know, score films. And then eventually I started meeting the music department and different people. And it it's definitely a hustle. Like it's not a, uh, and I also made business plans. But the interesting thing is I didn't really have a good solid business plan until one year I decided, and I don't remember why I decided to do it. It was after being here for like five or six years. And I was like, okay, I'm going to write down my purpose and then my mission statement, like a, you know, like a business and then my goals. And one of my goals was to do a studio feature. And I, you know, like it seemed like pie in the sky. And then somehow I did it that year and I've done it every single year since I always write out my purpose, my mission, my goals, and how I want to think I might be able to get to them. And that has been a, in essence, I, I did that from learning it in business school, not to do it personally, but from a business perspective, but I took it personally and, and took it in personal directions. And, you know, that has helped me a ton because you don't just write music. You also do, I'll sit down with my agent once or twice a year and we'll just do a business development call where we kind of go down the line of all, all of my clients and discuss who's doing what. And then we talk about what films are coming up that I'm interested in and we think might I might be a good fit for. And we reach out and we figure out through the network who we know. And so, yeah, it's a business. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, I want to go backwards a little bit, but real quick on your agent. So, so you're the creative, but are you involved? Like, does the agent basically say, Hey, this is a really cool project. I think would be a good fit. You come in, meet the director, whatever, like what's that dance? Like, is it, and then you say, yeah, I want to do it. And you let your agent negotiate the terms. Yes. That's mainly it. I mean, it's, it's usually not me going, yeah, I want to do it. It's more of like, I meet with them and they're like, yeah, we like him. He's our pick. Okay. Because in most cases, I want to do it. I won't do the meeting if I if I feel like I'm not the right fit for the project. Sometimes I'm like, oh, this isn't me. Like, I'm not a big horror film fan. I did one for MGM years ago just because I wanted to try it. And musically, it's fantastic and a fun experience. But I just don't like seeing people get hurt or murdered or any of those things. Yeah, I hear you. I and wish I remembered the name of this movie. It was, I remember the music was so odd. It was like a horror. It was these two kids that, went into this rich neighborhood in New York and they ended up, uh, God, anyways, I apologize. I'm totally enjoying this. Uh, but I remember the music was so, it was, it was scary as heck, but it was just such random music. So when things would happen, like this music would come on and it really threw me, but I also remembered the movie because of that. So I wonder sometimes if that's a tactic or a strategy just to kind of shock the audience. Well, music is incredibly impactful in that genre because uh it 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 plays so much more than most other genres because you are basically 
giving the audience like, you know, just tremolo strings, you know, like you'd heard from a Bernard Herman score on a, on a Hitchcock film years and years ago, the, those cue us in a way. But like when I did that one, I, there was a construction site near me and I said, Hey, can I borrow some stuff? And I recorded like skill saws and I would take a concrete desk and scrape it across, you know, or, I mean a desk and scrape it across the, the concrete floors in this place. And, and then I would mix that with the string orchestra and the, and all these different instruments. And, and what's fun is, you know, the music is more telling in that space because uh, somebody might be walking down a hallway. Well, if they're walking down a hallway with nothing in a horror film, it's not that eerie, but when you start playing things that make people feel uncomfortable, they know something dangerous around the corner and they don't know what, and you don't know when that's going to happen. And then you get to do the jump scares and all that thing. So I, I talk about it with excitement, but in the end, I'm like, I, I've also turned down projects like that, even though, you know, just cause I, I, the content always gets me a bit. Yeah. I'm not into scary. My son is, but I'm not. So I, I'm curious. So we go back in time. I know that you went to Kennedy, went to Western, and then you worked for a VPN company. Um, and what's interesting is like, I'm thinking, okay, I was in that world too, but here you are, this creative guy that loves music. That's your passion. Do you remember your mindset or like what you were like back? Were you just like happy doing something totally different? Or were you just jonesing to get out? Like, or because, or did you know that this is what you wanted to do? Because, you know, Aventel and film scores is like a 180. And yeah. I'm curious, a lot of times people watching this right now might have those voices in their head where they're doing a job that maybe they're not crazy about or they can't stand. They really want to be an artist or a painter or whatever. Do you remember, did you have any of that or were you just like happy-go-lucky? Uh the latter, but I can tell you why. Um, I was very happy doing what I was doing. I really enjoyed it. I I remember graduating university going, hey, this new internet thing, uh, maybe I should get into whoever, whatever e-commerce is, because that sounds like an interesting place to be. And how will all this work? And I interviewed at Amazon actually back in the day. Uh, and I, but I, I written my first symphony like I said, around 23, 24, somewhere in there. And I, I sparked upon something that I just was like, oh my gosh, I love this. And what happened was a few things that happened that, that really jump started me going this direction. One, when I was 19. So I actually, I was a, did a professional windsurfing gig for a while. When I say professional, all it was is we, we got sponsors and gear and all that stuff, you know, that kind of thing. And, but I lived down in the Columbia River Gorge for about five summers. And one of the summers when I was 19, uh, it wasn't windy one day. My friend and I went for a hike on our way back. Um, I was too close to the edge. I went down a massive rock slide, uh, came very close to losing my life, was convinced I was going to lose my life while it was happening because it was a 700 foot tumble. And, uh, and it, it woke me up to how precious our lives are. We are only here for a finite amount of time. And when you face death, it changes you in, in what I think is a really positive way because then you, you, you aren't trite about anything. And I remember back then going, you know, I'm always going to be good to my friends and my family, but I'm not going to do anything to please anyone. I'm just going to do what makes me happy. And, 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 and that's all that really, I, and not in a selfish way, but in a way that is like, yeah, you don't have to impress anybody. You don't, you know, you, know, you could, you and I could finish this conversation. One of us gets in a car and done. You just don't know. And so that combined with, um, I discovered a technology that would allow me to take my piano music and like, I was like, oh, I could write a symphony. And it was just an idea. But then I went down to the symphony hall and convinced them to, before they were even open and convinced them to, to bring me in and, and premiere my first symphony there. And, and then when I finished that meeting, they were like, you know, you're going to be our ninth and 10th concert on December 5th and 11th. We look forward to seeing you in seven months. And I walked out on the second Avenue and went, Oh shit, I got to figure out how to write a symphony. And, but it was very motivating and it was a fun adventure. And I was like, let's see where this goes. And, and what it's done in my life is it's allowed me to kind of give this, I, I have this spirit of say yes and see where it leads you. And so when I went and interviewed and, and ended up at Aventale and I loved everyone there, such 
great people. And it was such a wonderful experience. And I got into international sales and I, you know, would go to Mexico and give talks at a conference in Spanish. And, you know, it was like, it was a great experience. But then once I had, uh, I had done my first symphony, somebody, a, a friend of mine from the windsurfing world was going to university down in the, I think it was called the Academy of Arts in San Francisco. And he said, Hey, will you write the music for my short film? And I was like, I don't really know how to do that. And he goes, well, you didn't know how to write a symphony last year. And I was like, touche. And so I wrote it and I fell in love with it because back then I was performing like three nights a week at the cloud room and, you know, in hotels, Starbucks, all, all over Seattle. And I was like, wow, I just spent a few days in my studio with the candles lit and just writing. And I, I just loved it. And so I thought this might be something I want to pursue. And so when it came time to go down to Los Angeles, I literally was in tears when I let the CFO and the CEO know, like, and they're like, of course, we were all at your symphony. Like we expected you to do this at some point. And they were happy for me to go and they encouraged me. And, and I, they're like, but it was also nice. They're like, you have a job if you, you know, if you ever come back. And um, so that's been my, my spirit always. And and I can share with you even recently uh, about six years ago, I wrote one of my symphonies uh See, I'm on Symphony 24 now, so it was probably Symphony 18 or so, and it was a narrative, and I'd never written a narrative before, and I don't know why, what compelled me to do it, but I started writing it, and after a while, I was writing on these yellow legal pads, and I reached out to a director I work with, and he goes, hey, uh, this is a screenplay. I'm like, what? He goes, you're writing a play, and so he formatted it for me and showed me how, and then I started writing it in the script format, and then went and did this concert, and it landed, like, really well with the audience, and after the concert, and it was interesting because it was a comedy and fun, but musical, but then my mom was passing at the time. So I wrote it as a love letter to all of our moms and it just hit the audience emotionally and it landed really well. And then I had a colleague in town in Seattle and I took him on a run in, uh, he was up to meet Paul Allen and I said, hey, I'll take you on my favorite run in the Arboretum. And we're talking about the film and he goes, he goes, well, what are you doing with, or with that symphony? And he goes, that sure seems like a film. And I go, yeah, like 12 other people have said the same thing. And he said, uh, what are you, what are you going to do with it? And I said, well, I think I should make it into a film. And, uh, and he, he asked me what's stopping me. And then I said, well, I, you know, the capital and he goes, well, I have capital. You should go make that. So here we are four years later, five years later, gosh, almost six. Ugh. And, uh, I, I didn't have time to do it. I was so busy in my career, but when I got down to, to, we moved down to Los Angeles again, I, the pandemic hit, I, and the, he called me one day, Hey, are we still making this film? And I was like, yes, I'm going to work on this script. And I, we've been developing it for the last two to three years. And in that time, somebody connected me for a lunch with a guy at New Line Cinema. And he said, well, if you want to, if you're going to direct this thing, you should go make a short film. I made a short film. Then I happened to have a colleague from Kirkland who was in town and he's the CEO of a company. And he said he wanted to see the short film and I showed him. And then he's like, wow, could you, and I directed it and he goes, could you help us with some of our media? We've really kind of been struggling with our, some of our advertising. And then I ended up directing 10 national commercials for them last year. And I'm going to be now directing a musical film that I've already written the music for at the end of this year. And we've got the financing and everything. And, and it's, it's been more of us and I still do my film scoring, but I'm like, say yes and see where it leads you. And now I'm in this whole other world of storytelling that I couldn't even have imagined just a few years ago. So that's the attitude I take is be open. I love it. I mean, with every guest, there's a uh, verbiage on the button, the image, and I'm going to use say yes and see where it leads you. I think that's brilliant. Um, so I am curious, not to, I hope this isn't boring for you, but like when you talk about writing something down, I'm guessing it's non-lyrical, right? It's just music. For the films, yes. Uh, yes. Occasionally I get asked to write something, you know, write a song. But most of the time, just so you know, in the, the film music world, yeah, there's a music supervisor and a composer. And the music supervisor is the one that actually goes out and finds all of the songs. They have a budget. And so when you hear that favorite pop song in a film, that's what they do. And then I'm working in, in lockstep with them going, hey, you changed that Aerosmith song to this song from Jet. And I need to, and it's a different key. So I need to, you know, is this the final? Cause I need to change the key of what I'm writing to come out of that song into the scene or whatever it may be. Yeah. Okay. So when you're doing your thing, are you, I'm just trying to visualize it. Are you basically just writing musical notes 
And like, I don't even know how to ask the question. Like, what does that look like? Let's see if I can take my keyboard and go, whoop, there's, that's right below me. Yeah. Desk and, uh, and then my composer desk is just filled with all my gear and all my screens and everything. And so when I'm writing, I'm actually physically playing on the keyboard. And then when I'm writing, even for like a cello, I'll be playing it on the keyboard and what I want the cello to play, even though I know when I bring it to a cellist, I'm going to have them all say, Oh, articulate this, change this note, you know, uh, and, and shape it with the real cellist. And you, the samples today are so good, but I'm just a big believer in you bring real musicians in, not necessarily because of, um, you know, one philosophy or another, but really to me, it's the humanity. So when I'm bringing in, like I, I did a show for CBS a couple of years ago or a few years back called why women kill. And I, I think I had a 40 piece string section over at just a few blocks away from here at Warner brothers, uh, the, the Eastwood scoring stage. And the amazing thing about those string players is because you could play a chord on a set of keys and do all the things to try to make it sound real. But what I love is of those 40 people, and they're all people. We don't forget that. They're not players. They're human beings. One of them just fell in love. And one of them just found out that their kid's on drugs and somebody else is going through a shitty divorce or somebody else. I mean, there, or someone's going bankrupt. You never know. I mean, everybody brings this swirl of emotion in. And even though they're all playing what I've written, they're bringing that in, the humanity into it. And you, it's in the overtones. And it's, I believe it's something that's felt, not heard. And, and so that's why I love bringing people together. That's why I write a new symphony every year and with an 80 piece orchestra and usually multiple choirs. And sometimes we'll have 200 plus performers out there on the stage communicating to 2000 people in the audience. And I just get to sit in the middle at the piano, watch having this wash over me as it goes into the audience. It was one of the most exciting experiences I know. And, but those people are experiencing humanity. They're not there to see how technically good somebody is or how, well, some people might be if they're aficionados, but they're there to have a shared experience and to have a shared emotion and, 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 uh, there's something about live music. It's not just about what's on stage. It's about when you're with the people next to you and you see them somebody jumps up next to you, you'll probably have permission to jump up and clap too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's a beautiful experience. I've seen you, uh, you know, is it Ben Arroyo? Uh, yeah. I've been to a few and it's, it's, I love it. Like I love going to those events and you're, you're definitely in your element. Um, when you are with a, a large group orchestra, whatever, I don't know the verbiage or terminology, are you like communicating with the different you know, the cello, the pianist, the percussion, like, are you talking to them? Not when it's live, but when you're rehearsing, like, are you, is it a back and forth? Hey, I want you to do this. And then they're like, what about this? And like, yeah, that's cool. Let's do that. Is it like you up there, like having that talk with them or how does that work? Uh, When I'm on the scoring stage for all my films and shows, usually it's me doing all that. Okay. But when I work with the orchestra, there's an orchestra I love in Seattle called the Northwest Symphony Orchestra. And I, I always, bring it i always run it through the conductor their music director anthony spain because it's his band in essence you know he's he's known everybody knows everybody's abilities knows the strengths and weaknesses and there are certain times where i'll be saying something he's like oh just go talk to the percussionist and let him know but and and one time i I like here's a good example where where maybe my economy of words isn't as good uh where one time I, i asked him i said hey can i address the orchestra on this piece and he's like yeah and i said hey do you remember when you were in high school and like two kids got in a fight, like a big circle gathered around and, and you saw somebody like physically, like you saw, you heard it and it just sounded awful. And you saw a fist hit flesh. And I go, you weren't in the fight. You were just in that circle, but your adrenaline got shot up. I go, that's how I want you to play this piece. You know, like this section <laughs> of this piece, I want you to play like that. And my conductor like looked at me and then he looks at them and he goes, aggressivo. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I can relate. That, that's interesting. So are you, um, are you at a point in your career? Like, do you just want to do more, more of the same? I mean, it sounds like you're saying yes to a lot of new things. Is that how you kind of expect the next 15, 20 years ago? Or do you have a vision of where you want to be in 20 years? I don't actually. I mean, I, I have a vision of where I want to be as far as my family goes mm-hmm. and where my place in my community goes. Um, and in my career, yeah, I have an idea, but also 
I've been in the career long enough to go, oh, it goes up, it goes down, it goes left, it goes right. Um, I kind of went for at least, you know, the last 15 years without stopping. <laughs> um, although the pandemic, you know, kind of shook us all. I was like, oh, wow, that's right. If anything, I loved it in the sense that it, you know, reminded me like just to get on the floor with my little kids and spend, you know, like, I'm like, hey, I thought I was giving them a lot of time. I'm like, oh, I could give them more even. And, uh, um, but yeah, like this, you know, I plan to continue being a composer, but I'm excited to, to delve into directing a bit just because I understand how to tell story. I've already been doing it for 20 plus years through films and through symphonies musically. And I've worked with so many directors and been on so many sets. And, and the reason why I wanted to direct the film I'm gonna make is because I was like, oh, I know the exact tone I want to get across to the audience and the story to tell. And I know it's gonna scare the shit out of me and be really difficult as well. I, I think I kind of love that. Because sometimes when I go out to do a symphony, now, like I, I, even when I'm playing with another orchestra somewhere else in the world, I don't get the jitters like I used to as much. I usually am like, but I also really look forward to it. I'm always having, I always love to talk to the audience and share the music with them and, and have fun with them. But um, I like keeping myself open. So I give myself a direction, but I, and, and my direction is to continue film scoring because I love it. It's something I know I have a muscle in now. After 20 years, I feel very confident in my abilities. And then other times when I start, no matter how confident you are, you're like, oh, I have to you know, I have to go up this mountain. And the only way I know how to do it is take one step because you every project's brand new. And there's always there's no one solution. They're all different. Yeah. So there's a little bit of, you know, like whew, you have to take some deep breaths. But I I like I said, I I I love being a composer. I love telling story through music. And I'm willing, you know, I'm open to, oh, if directing is something that might be, you know, interesting, I'll, I'll explore it. But I really am, even the film I'm making is completely musical. In fact, it's it's going to be a new style of musical that hasn't been done yet. So um, it stays very in the musical world that I, I love. That's awesome. Was there a point where I was just listening to you thinking about, I saw this interview with Russell Crowe and he said for a long time he didn't feel confident that he had made it like even early on. And then there was a point in his career where he just kind of knew he, he was good enough. Like he would, do you ever, did you ever go through something like that? Like, like, <clears throat> Oh my God, I, I feel like I'm an, an imposter. Like I hope they don't find out. Or did you know from the get go that you had it in you to be, you know, like, cause you were like, Juno was a big deal. You had a lot of, you've done over 200 films, I think, or two. I mean, you've done a lot, but you talk about getting nervous, but was there a point to where you're like, huh, I got this? Uh, two things. One, I'll quickly correct you. I've done over 30 films and over 300 episodes of TV. <laughs> but Maybe uh, TV, sorry. That's okay. Um, as I, I'm so grateful to my parents, may they rest in peace, that they instilled a lot of confidence in me. And I've carried that confidence throughout my life and it has served me so well that my goal with any young person, any kids is to instill confidence in them and make sure that they know they, and confidence is really just a, somebody knowing that they are loved, they are accepted, that, that, that they matter, they are significant. And, but I will say all that aside, every single person, no matter how confident great they are, goes through imposter syndrome. Yeah. So there's no possible way. So like my first six years, I was just hustling and trying to get on small projects here and there. Once I started doing films in the studios, yeah, for my first like few years, I was like, I cannot believe I'm getting paid this to do what I'm doing. I, I can't believe they don't know that I don't really quite know what I'm doing. And what's cool is when I look back, I'm like, those were some really cool films, actually. And I didn't realize I was doing them a service. But once I was in about, yeah, probably a decade, I I was like, oh, I think I'm adding value. <laughs> and And then I just, and that doesn't mean that I, I never, I, I detest arrogance, but I love confidence. And so I never want to go into a project assuming that um, that I know more about something, but I do go in with a confidence of, I have flexed this muscle many times in many different ways, and this is going to be a new way to be creative. And knowing that I've done it before and always followed through and finished my projects to the point where my clients were so happy and they're like hiring me again. And I'm like, okay, that that confidence carries me through for sure. And this is a random question, but you're, you're such a friendly guy. Like Hollywood, is it, does it eat up people like you? Like, I mean, obviously it hasn't cause you're doing great, but like, 
is it a, is it a you hear things like from afar like how how difficult it can be or cutthroat but yet you seem like you're very um uh, your energy's high Have, was that a struggle at all or did you integrate really well in hollywood like no problem uh i think that it pretty much always comes from within so if you, what, what your fortitude is, so like I've worked for Harvey Weinstein, you know, like <laughs> I've worked for some challenging people. I've worked on projects where I had execs, studio executives, producers, directors, and not all of them agreed on what they wanted. And so I was the pawn in the middle and I had to navigate my way through. And it's not, you know, those weren't easy at all, but I've never, um, I think when you, uh, I approach people with a lot of respect and a lot of love and a lot of like openness and, and they come back to me with it. Nobody comes back to me with, I've even seen where people have been really rude to other people, but they don't, they aren't with me. And, and I've always been very appreciative of that, but I also think it's because I appreciate them and, you know, I'm very confident. And so Uh, No, it's never broken me here. In fact, I've met a lot of great friends in this industry and a lot of wonderful people and a lot of incredibly creative people. What you're hearing a lot about, though, is it's like the Wild West at times. You know, sometimes you're just like, oh, oh, so this really important role is being done by just uh, a nephew or a friend of the person. You you hear those things and then you're like, okay, we have you. We got to carry that, help that person out as much as we can. And, yeah. you know, you, there's a lot of craziness in it as well. But for the most part, once you get into the studio level of projects, they mainly everybody is professional and comes to play. Okay. More uh, as, we, stuff. as we wind down, um, is there, what's your biggest surprise? Like you, you probably knew what to expect. Maybe not, not everything, but is there something that just really caught you off guard? Like, oh man, whether it's good or bad, like I didn't see this coming as being in your industry. Um, I just like anybody else, probably the pandemic, you know, reminded me because entertainment has been one industry that's pretty recession proof. Mm-hmm. Like people still watch entertainment and want entertainment in a recession. And so you can keep working and whether the economy is up here or down here. Um, but then to see like shunk stop, <laughs> you know, like full stop. And then, I mean, thank goodness in the, in my business, we have royalty structure, uh, which could, you know, carry us through, but, um, you know, just, just never forgetting the vulnerabilities, um, that caught me off guard. And the other one too, is just, I'd never been fired from a job until coming to Hollywood. And like, to me, that would be something just so devastating. And I remember I, I had gotten, I was on a pilot at ABC years ago and I had gotten fired and replaced. And I was so gutted about it. And I, my friend, the one that, the, that would, I would sneak on a lot with, he, he mentored me a bit too. He was older than me. And he, I talked to him that night and he goes, you've made it. You made it. I'm like, what? He goes, you got fired by a Wayans brother and replaced by another Wayans. He goes, that's everybody in this entire industry. We all get fired at least once, you know? And, and so I, that in the creative side of things that happens a little bit more often than it would in just like a a traditional job. Uh, I've avoided it for the vast majority of it, but, but so that, that surprised me for sure. Um, Is there anything I haven't asked you that you think would be relevant or important for someone who's very interested in going down this road in their career, they're coming out of school and they're jacked up, they're excited. Uh, Is there anything that maybe on the tip of your tongue, like I, again, that you think would be good advice for someone to know? I'll say two things. One is uh, I didn't know the odds against me when I came down and I was better off not knowing them. And the, what I found is the people that are successful down here in Hollywood are two things. One is they're they're relentless about their pursuit of what they're doing and they just don't leave. You know, the the ones that there, there's so many people that come down here, try something for a year or two and then leave. And and the ones that just dedicate themselves to it eventually find their place somewhere. And it might not be exactly where they thought they were going to be. Um, so I'd say, you know, I always encourage people be relentless in your pursuit and and you know be ready to stick it out. Um, and nothing happens overnight, nothing <laughs> or very, very rare. And then the other is just 
Um, volunteerism has been a huge part of my life. And I'd say because I was so dedicated to what I wanted to do in my career, I decided not to have a family till later in life. And I was still open to dating and everything, but I realized I just wasn't really ready for it until I was probably in my, you know, mid thirties kind of thing. And volunteerism was where my heart was before I had a family. It still is now, but not compared to my family, I'd say, but what it does is a job is a job is a job. Even a career is a career is a career. You're here once on this planet. So when you do any type of volunteerism, you do anything that's not for the benefit of you, you are going to gain so much out of that in goodwill, in your character and who you are, and it feeds you. And so when people would ask what my purpose was, and I used to go speak at universities all over and I would say, oh, you know, you guys brought me here for this sexy uh, Hollywood thing. And I go, guy, to be honest, my heart is filled with my volunteerism where I may write music on this, you know, I have some, I have music playing 24 seven around the world now. It doesn't matter where, like my performing rights organization said, you're always, something's playing everywhere on all the different shows and films. I go, but when I sit down and play piano and write a song with a kid who's going through a terminal disease or fighting cancer, and we write songs about bees and dogs and farts, and we forget about cancer for an hour or two, that fills me. And that might be a small service to them. And it's, and, and that fills me more than any of this, this career stuff. So those would be my two little pieces of advice. Yeah. I love it. I mean, that's powerful. I, um, uh, it's no surprise you've done so well. I mean, good people, I think, always find a way. Um, one of my questions I have to ask you, just because I told you I love music scores. I could last night I was outside listening. You know, I just it touches me in a way. Like, I mean, I I'll cry. I mean, it's it's a powerful thing for me. The music, I I and I'm curious. I tend to love like cinema parodies. So somewhere in time, the mission. Like, I really love those types of scores. Do you, you have a, Marconi. yeah, he, he's, he's amazing. Um, do you have a favorite kind or, I mean, you said you don't do horror flicks. You don't like to typically, but is there a, a, a composer or a, a film score like that you'll listen to on a Saturday night when you're having a glass of wine with your wife that you love or that you said is maybe your best or your favorite? I would say, well, just from a personal standpoint, my favorite, it's so funny you mentioned it, my favorite all-time film score is Ennio, Ennio's The Mission. It's especially with the juxtaposition it had in the film and using the native choir with the orchestra is just incredibly beautiful. As far as the kind of films that I seek out to write music for, it's any film with heart. So uh, I end up doing a lot of comedies and a lot of comedies with heart because then while I'm spending time working on it, like... I will say early in my career, I had an opportunity to do uh, a project that would have been my biggest moneymaker for that decade, probably. I mean, it just, it, it was, it was, it was fantastic. It would have been great. And I, they sent me the ideas of what I was going to work on. And it was like the most depressing, sad, harsh, violent, you know, things. And I was like, I realized I was going to have to spend eight to nine months a year for the coming four or five years at least to be working on these things. And that would be in my life every day, all day. And I was like, I had to, I said no to the project and it was hard to say no to, cause it would have bought me a house in the first year. It would have done so many things and it would have been phenomenal financially, but it just wasn't me. And I had to respect that. It was hard to say no to that. But so then I've sought out, you know, I, I'll do dramas and I'll do different types of movies, uh, but I tend to gravitate towards ones that I know are going to put something warm in people's hearts when they watch and when they walk away talking about it, they, something that they can feel good about or be inspired by. That's not every one of them, but it's a lot of them. I love it. Uh, last question. Is there, I know you've done a lot. Is there one project you've done TV or film that you're most proud of or one that just felt really good? Probably one that I'm most proud of is, probably wasn't even that well known. It ran on NBC uh, years ago. It starred John Malkovich as Blackbeard the Pirate. It was called Crossbones. And I, my wife was pregnant and with our, our first uh, of our littles. And I got a call. I was just finishing 
uh, a show at NBC. I was having lunch with the the VP of music there and at the on the studio lot and and uh, and I showed her the the ultrasound like hey guess what you know and and then she said hey by the way I'm throwing your hat in the ring on this project um, you know it's it's action and drama and it's about pirates and all this stuff and I was like okay and then you know we talked about it later and I go hey. Normally this, you know, my agent would never put me up for something like this. She goes, yeah, but I've been to one of your symphonies. I know you're totally capable of this. And then, so I put together music, sent it over that night. And it was really interesting because the, the show was being shot in like Puerto Rico. The the writer was in New Zealand. The director was already back in Ireland. He was an Irish director. Like it was just people from all over the world. And they said, hey, she said, hey, they really like your music. Can you meet tomorrow at 10 a.m.? And I was at the Burbank airport about to get on a flight. And we had I had a meeting with all these people in different time zones, like eight people. And the 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 I'm I'm gonna butcher the accent a bit, but the director just said, All right, Mateo, hand on your heart. Can you do this? Can you really do this? Because I they really they needed to have 10 episodes done in 33 days. Usually you get like four months, you know, to do something like this. And it was going to be the most accelerated timeline I'd ever worked on. Um, and I literally, I had my phone in my hand and I put my hand on my heart and I said, yes. And then I got on the plane. And as when I landed, I had a message saying, okay, they want you to do it. Start immediately. And it was the most intense experience. I put my team together really quick, but I wrote over 300 minutes of orchestral music to picture in 33 days. And it was one where I was talking about before where instead of staying up all night, I just, I had to play the long game. And so I would get up every morning early, go for my run, come in right up until dinner time, go for a walk with my pregnant wife, have dinner, get back right until about 10, go to bed. Did that for 33 days. And at the very end, I finished and I didn't know what to do with myself. I didn't even know. I like, I walked outside and washed my car. Like I just was like, I didn't, but, but what was great was it was also the most money I'd ever made in a short amount of time when we were about to have a baby. And it was a total. So it, like when I look back on it, the way my team, I, I was able to inspire my team and and I love all of them. And, and I was able to write this massive amount of music and it turned out really well. Like they, people really loved it. And, and uh, so, yeah, that's probably my, one of my more favorite projects. That's awesome. Um, well, listen, you've been super help, helpful and friendly. And I mean, this is anyone watching this, I'm sure is going to benefit a lot. And uh, I just want to say thanks, Mateo. You were very generous to come on. And uh, I look forward to your future projects. Oh, thank you. It was a lot of fun meeting with you. All right, Mateo. Thank you so much. Sure, Derek. All right.